Hello everyone, this is Matt Kalaski for TGMR. I'm here today talking with members of the Apiary Magazine, uh, specifically Amanda Buck, who is one of the fiction editors for Apiary Magazine, and Alexa Smith, uh, the managing editor at Apiary Magazine. Amanda and Alexa, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Oh, we're excited to be here. Awesome. So, first, I just want to give our listeners a, maybe an overview if they are unfamiliar with Apiary Magazine. So, maybe you can tell us if they're unfamiliar or have never seen one or looked at one, uh, what could they expect to find inside Apiary Magazine? Do you want to go first or bounce back and forth? Sure, we can kind of just yeah. lay off of each other. Um, so my magazine, I think the first thing you notice is it always has some cool hive type image on the front um, yes. featuring either very straightforwardly our issue title or sometimes it's gotten a little bit more um, elaborate but you can usually find them at your local coffee shop, independent bookstore, cultural organization um, and inside you'll generally find a lot of poetry and more recently some fiction and nonfiction, mm-hmm. Along with a lot of visual art as well uh, and what ties all of that together is uh, we don't exclusively publish Philadelphia artists only, but we do place a huge priority on showcasing and celebrating the work of Philadelphia writers and artists. Um, we publish all genres of work um, by writers and artists of all ages, all backgrounds, all experience levels. We're especially interested in totally unpublished work um, and in work by emerging authors, although, of course, we're also always excited to have established (laughs) big names in our magazine, too. Um, Yeah, I would say the thing that stands out to me about Apiary is... When you, when you have an issue in your hands is this feeling of vibrancy um, and like a lot of different voices in conversation, usually about a shared theme. Uh, the majority of our issues have been themed at least in the past few years. Um, our most recent issue, which you would probably see out on the streets uh, in recent months, it was issue eight, Apiary Eight Soft Targets. So there's probably still a few of those floating around in a coffee shop here or there. Um, that one has got like a very simple charcoal gray cover and then the classic pink hive hexagonal. Ah, yes, yes, <laughs> so fancy. Um, and that, the theme of that issue is soft targets. Um, it's taken from the term um, a target of... Uh, it's a militaristic term originally uh, used to describe a target that is uh, civilian in nature or unprotected uh, in like a terroristic strike or a military strike. Um, a target that is vulnerable to attack. Uh, so it, it seems like it has like a theme to it, right? Is that, is that something that happens with every issue? And if that, you know, if there is like a locus or a theme, how does that come about? And then more be more in general zooming out, how does each issue sort of like formulate? Is it a group of people? Is it just one or two people? How do these issues mm-hmm. come to fruition? Yeah, um, 
I guess the, the having a theme is something that hasn't, I don't think that's been around since the first issue. I've only been with Apiary a year and a half, two years myself. So um, I haven't been around since its founding in 2009. But I do believe that they've been rolling with the theme since at least issue four. Um, so it's been a few years that that's been kind of a norm in the process of building an issue. Um, from there, we may often collaborate with another organization, like for Apiary 8, we collaborated with the wonderful, amazing sci-fi collective Metro Polarity, another fantastic, a fantastic group of local Philly writers, um, and then they'll kind of, um, that collaborating organization may work with us to curate work for the issue. Um, aside from that, though, it's like everybody. We want everybody to be in the magazine. Yeah, we collectively, um, in my experience, have come up with a theme. I came on board with Apiary at a very cool time. We were about to start talking about issue nine, um, and we brought on a large amount of staff. I mean, at least five new people to the uh, Apiary hive, as it were. Um, we right off the bat started talking about uh, theme, and I think that we were all in a time where we were responding to agitators around us politically and socially and thinking about where the last issue left us off. I think that very heavily influenced this collective idea that we came up with for our new theme. And it seemed right from the beginning that we started with you know, this very soft idea, uh, loose, and it went in this one direction right from the start. Mm -hmm. And it was almost was like a hive mind was working together <laughs> yeah. on this. Um, I think most importantly, what I like about Apiary is its tagline written by humans. Yeah. Because I think that that's something that's carried through every issue, whether themed or not, that you're going to run the gamut of different levels of ability, different ages, different races, different um, socioeconomic circumstances, and you're going to hear a lot of voices of the city and of the community around Philadelphia. Yeah, hence the use of apiary as our name, like that metaphor of like this buzzing hive of, and I guess like, I guess actually bees are pretty homogenous, right? But um, I guess like a hive of many different kinds of yes. animals and interaction. Um, it's gotten us confused with actual beekeeping magazines on Facebook and Twitter a lot. So um, sometimes we'll have com people complaining that we don't post enough pictures of bees, but... <laughs> so I like this... Um you know, this collecting of different voices. So that's, I'm guessing, how you, uh, we were talking earlier, you have a call for entries. Is this how that works? Maybe go through that process. And then I'm also really interested in, you know, how do you actually decide what gets in, what gets out? Like, what are the criteria? Do you establish those? Do you, do you just talk it out? Like, that's something uh, maybe you can expound upon is that selection process. And maybe tell us about the open call that's happening right now. Nice. Uh, well, yes, we do have an open call right now for issue nine. Um, the theme of this issue also is sanctuary, um, which we arrived at. It's true, I think, off of a conversation about where we left off with issue eight, kind of going from that idea of like exploring what it is to feel targeted in your own city and that feeling of when do you keep your guard up as you're moving through your city and at what moments and with what people or in what spaces do you let that guard down. We now want to focus on that second part of that, that idea of what makes a real sanctuary and what 
actually makes or could make Philadelphia a true sanctuary city. Um, what does it mean to be a true sanctuary, the one place where a person who may be targeted is absolutely safe with it from attack without question? And how is that kind of space built and truly maintained? Um, and what can that look like? And what can that be for different people? Um, so that run is open till June 2nd. And we put out a few different calls um, for a, many different genres. We're basically open to all genres, um, fiction, poetry, multimedia, um, visual art, although that's pretty locked in at this point. Our art director, Marianne Captain, has got that pretty well curated by now. Um, let's see. So what type of what type of entries are you hoping to get or thinking you're gonna get? Or is that part of the fun of it is that you don't? I mean, I think part of the fun is that you never really know what you're going to get. And even the best planning, the best laid themes are going to take shape once you really see all the submissions together. We have um, you know, the two fiction editors who are going to work together, the two poetry ed editors who are going to work together. Um, we have Steve Burns, our project director, who's going to be shaping this a lot. Obviously, Alexa, our managing editor, is going to be tapping into mm -hmm. all different genres and uh, overseeing. Mm -hmm. But I really think that... It's up to what people interpret as a theme, what's important to the people who are submitting that's going to determine how the issue takes shape. In the past, I, I, I know this is based heavily in Philadelphia. And is that true? Is it all Philadelphia-based? That's a goal of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think our goal when in doubt is to be able to publish local artists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, sometimes we'll be really struck by a piece like... Um, like, I remember we recently piece, uh, published a piece for a Valentine's Day contest um, that had this, like, beautiful, striking imagery of Fishtown and recounting, like, the memories of a relationship mm -hmm. as it wound through that part of the city. And we loved it so much. We're like, oh, my God, this is perfect. Wow, yeah, we're publishing this. And then found out that writer was based in, I think, Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> She's amazing, and we love her, yeah. but yeah, so it's kind of like sometimes it's, uh, yes, we do prioritize work that is Philly at heart, and then sometimes it'll turn out that person is not currently based here, but what what attracts us is work that seems to have like a close relationship to Philadelphia that feels Philadelphian in its voice. So in the through the different uh, issues, and you're probably more familiar with I am, but could you, what is that Philadelphia, is there a Philadelphia voice? Is it too fractured? Is it all lots of different things? Is there something that you see emerging again and again from the submissions and the, mm -hmm. is there any, any through line that you find between the issues and the voices or is it just a big spectrum? Philadelphia is so diverse, I think, is the overwhelming feeling I get when I read Apiary and when I look at the mm -hmm. submissions coming in. There really is not one voice of Philadelphia. And one of the things that we're trying to do with this issue is really expand our limbs out as far as we can to attract as much of the city as possible, to not... Uh, discriminate towards any area in terms of where we're distributing old magazines, where we're holding um, workshops, where we're holding events. We really want to be as far-reaching as possible to get as much diversity of the city. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would say that's true, that um, there is no one kind of Philadelphian. There's no one way to be a Philadelphian citizen, and there's no one way that people think about or talk about or write about this city. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
when we look through our submissions, but we're getting in, um, I don't know, I guess I would say one thing by and large is that I would like a lot of our submitters are more progressive minded, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, are, um, so you might see some more like left leaning attitudes as things come in, but overall, like in terms of style, in terms of perspective, in terms of like what Philadelphia means to that writer, it could be anything and it could be like any, any, many different parts of the city too, you know, many different imagery, many different kinds of imagery. Do you think that's something that's core to this project is not being able to identify or understand that spot or that inline is constantly, constantly shifting, constantly moving. I mean, I think that's something that strikes me about is to show that like, there is no sort of like central spot. There is no sort of unified voice, but that, uh, this, thing that carries through is the sort of non like conformity. Um, yeah. That that's exactly right. I think we do not want to privilege one spot over the other or one voice over the other in the city. I think underlying this idea of sanctuary is an idea of mapping. And we're talking about internally a lot of different ways we can include mapping into the theme because inherently in talking about a sanctuary, you're talking about place. And we are a Philadelphia-based magazine that is always thinking about place. So. I think that's really coming into play when we think about how we're going to be accepting and looking for submissions uh, and how we might want to lay out the issue. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, and in terms of laying out the issue, I would say that while we get a lot of work that, you know, everyone's perspective is so radically different from one another in like what they think of when they think of Philadelphia, what their Philadelphian experience is, what points on the map are most precious to them in this city, um, but that you'll then find, or the really exciting moments to me are when you see two pieces of work from writers who are talking at two totally different angles, two totally different points of life, maybe, two t- totally different um, backgrounds of experience, two t- totally different slices of the city, but are talking about the same thing, you know, like connecting, um, connecting people who are each like having who are each in conversation but might never actually have spoken to each other in the same volume. Yeah. That's what's exciting to me. So I, I want to make sure we get to... Uh, I know that both of you are editors for Apiary Magazine, but you're also writers yourselves, yeah, yeah. correct? I, I want to dive into that just a little bit. And maybe first, uh, Amanda, can you talk about how this sort of process or working with Apiary fits into your writing practice? And Alexa, I'll want to hear that too from you. you know, Apiary found me, I think, at the perfect time. I was a little over a year and a half outside of my MFA program, and I was really wanting that community feeling again. Uh, I think as writers, you know, sometimes you feel like you can be writing in a vacuum. And you feel like you're just off doing your own thing and you're not really sure where to sound it off. And I think even being part of a community like Apiary, where we're not all sitting around talking about our own work, but talking about other people's work and what we like to see in writing is just wonderful for the, your own writing process. I think that having a collective mind and resurging that creative energy uh, every time we meet 
definitely enhances my own process in writing in terms of increasing the amount, um, mm -hmm. certainly influencing things I might never have thought I would write about before. Yeah. I think that's what you find. Feeding off of each other is, is really important. Yeah, I agree with that too. Um, that energy of working in a collective is really inspiring and kind of like working in a collective that is creating um, a magazine that is so collectively oriented, like so oriented around like all voices, all styles, all backgrounds all the time. And then getting to read the submissions that come in um, and just seeing the sheer like span of voices and the sheer number of different things that you can do on the page. Um, that's inspiring and that feeds your own work. Like, oh, huh, I'd never considered like that you could lay it out like that. Or, oh, that's a really beautiful way of describing like the way that West Philadelphia moves. Like, I, uh, that's inspiring to me. Um, and I think that collectivity um, has definitely done something to shape how my brain approaches writing too. Like the piece that I brought to read today, is actually a hive mind sort of piece. It's something that was, was something I started by crowdsourcing stories from my friends on Facebook um, about a particular subject or theme, and then kind of took all of those stories and absorbed them and um, wove them together into a piece. Awesome. Well, now I just want to hear what you brought to read for us. Uh, Amanda, do you want to go first and tell us like what we're going to hear here? Sure. So I actually think I'm going to read two shorter pieces, if that's okay. Um, one is fiction-y. I say fiction-y because um, in my own writing, I don't really like to distinguish between the two. Um, so it's kind of a hybrid piece. And the other is um, a Philadelphia-based poem, which I thought was appropriate. Awesome. Let's hear it. All right. This one is called Dust. In the car for weeks, I found the dust. It was smeared in optical white handprints on the interior of the car, in between the windows and the arm ledges. It had adhered inside the little dimples of textured plastic and paneled fabric, as if to make it appear a pattern of ghost white Swiss dots. I'd be careful not to touch it, though I admit it was hard not to trance my fingers along the grooves of larger curved smudges. I didn't want to make it yet another thing that could be easily cleaned. There were weeks of avoiding it, mild staring at traffic lights and careful placement of my hand inside just the door well, when a grip was necessary to shut myself inside. And then one day, the dust spoke, said, do not fear, I am a fish. I am more love than magic. The dust told me to drive. I was stunned, not as much by dust's propensity for language, but its sound abilities of navigation. The almost serene way it guided me onto the highway and away from where I had intentions of going altogether, and more that I did not any longer have the capacity for disagreement, as is my usual way. When dust speaks, everything else has simply got to wait. Dust said, can there be music? And it was more of a statement than a question. It was odd to sing with dust, a voice with gusto I wouldn't have imagined in the weeks I was scared to touch it, let alone nestle my voice inside it to try to find a harmony. And so there was music. Mild annoyance that dust assumed the melody, forcing my voice to match in thirds, which were never my strength. And finally, 
My voices were too loud to care, and dust rolled the window down. I forgot to fear the possibility that dust would fly with the wind and I would be left alone. It was dust who knew these parts, dust who knew the way, selfish, almost how careless dust could be. We were there abruptly at the path to the shore, and it unnerved me that I could not recall stopping to park the car, lifting our bodies to feet, shutting the doors, locking. Dust could be that way, all encompassing and dangerous. Dust led me down the path and said, wade with me down past the waterline. I was in jeans that I was sure would waterlock me under the current, but Dust said, pointed out, out to the sun that appeared to have pulled closer to the horizon for emphasis. Look at that light, those colors. Don't you know you're beautiful like that? The next piece is called Postmarked Philly. Our legs are wobbly with lactic acid and wine by the time we reach the front door and buzz for the concierge. We have left our key, so instead we are cutting a rug in the lobby, waiting. We don't have much, my parents and I, but we have our arms linked at the elbows, six legs trying to keep rhythm in our steps. We have the wind. But we couldn't pay to hail a cab from broad and south, and yes, we charged the cocktails we had no business ordering to our tab. Yes, we're cold. By the time we reach 17th and Market, we begin running. Legs low to the ground like snow dogs. Street signs are whizzing past. There goes 16th, 15th, broad. We turn. Three little pigs running between the buildings, escaping cold like a big bad wolf on our heels. I am traversing the steps of my parents' childhood. Philly's salty beneath my shoes. But I am learning what it means to love. No, to remember all the times we have laughed, cutting a rug in the lobby. We're always having no money and dancing, a big belly chorus chucked into air. I know there have always been times like this. How could there not? when my ears can decipher the particular sound of their steps with a blindfold. There will always be times, if we let them in whenever laughter knocks on our hearts, beyond the corner of broad and south, beyond the memory of any night passed between us, all we have to do is link our arms, never stop moving our souls. Thank you for sharing. That was great. Thank you for having me. Alexa, give something for us. Yeah. All right. So this is that Facebook Hive Mind crowdsource poem I was talking about. Um, I call it Hat Poem now. Uh, it's online as well with the title Chronesthesia on Entropy Magazine at entropymag.org. Um, so it starts with a couple of epitaphs. Is that the thing before a poem or is that the thing on the gravestone? I always get those words mixed. Epigraph. Epigraph. That I do it. too. Epitaph is, <laughs> epitaph is the tombstone. I well, find it poetic. Which, yeah. Oh, good. Thanks. I mean, there are also dead people in this poem, so it's fitting. Anyway. Ah, start. Chronesthesia, Wikipedia. This refers to the ability to be aware of one's past or future. While many may describe it as uniquely human, others now argue that this ability can transcend to include non-human animals, such as birds. Pearl in the Beard, Black Hole of Calcutta, 
Where is your bird tattoo? Send me your blue hat, lest I forget so well upon this day you died. Hat poem. It's sunset in 2016, and I am home in an ocean of paper dolls gluing glitter to thumbnail crowns when you say, there's a belief that the past, present, and future are all happening at once, and folding time is folding space like wrinkles in a bedsheet or tricorners in a captain's hat. And on the living room table, you draw the emperor for your future. And he is drawn as a weathered captain weathering a stormy sea, a siren's slight hand reaching in from out of frame to gently drape across worn knuckles as he steers a salt-stung course. The deck is cut, and I am wearing a new hat on a blind date in 1960, riding fairies with a stranger who becomes my boyfriend, who becomes my second husband, then my step-granddad, and I am buying a second second deferent fedora with cringy pleas tucked in the lining for a first boyfriend, 15 in high school, who set the first hat on fire when I tried to end it, and I am thawing from the frost at post office on Dickinson, in line for decades clutching red-knit winter caps stuffed in yellow foam mailer, shipped in spite without a note two days after first love waves from the same salty sidewalk, a year apart from private island of stained sheets, my ears muffled in rueful snow. And I'm a cat from the cap my mother made me, with kitten ears and danglies wrapped around my neck. I'm frozen playground flung-shouldered balaclava effect. And I am seven stooped in libraries with extinct Hawaiian birds. And I am eaten by moths when I come out next winter. And I am lost on a roller coaster. And when I come back down, my niece won't recognize me. And I am dying young after a long war at sea, capped in navy stitching named for ships and presidents. I am frayed but keeping handy in my projects round the grandkids' house. And I am buried in orioles, sainted in cardinals, holy and moth-eaten on the mound. I am clutching my father's hand in a blanket of black clothing in a day like a slack sea. And the feathers need some repair, but wonderful red. And I'm buried in beaded flapper fabric, in closets of postcards from dog-eared restaurants. I'm shuffling through living rooms in your old zebra stripes when you left us both behind in the move. I'm a dark side prize, forgotten drunk on love struck cab rides. I am the brims of bad math monarchies and witchy springs in Cincinnati. I am the linings stitched in specimens, paintings, picture notes, and skins. And I am an island emperor glowing ruby in red garments, a murder of oo wingspans dazzling beach bright on my back. And I still have, still have, and love, still regret not, still have that hat. I have that hat now ready to set it on fire. Thanks. Uh, Amanda, Alexa, thank you for joining me. Before we go, can you remind everyone uh, that your open call, your open submissions yes. are open till June 2nd? How can someone apply if they want to apply? 
if you want to apply, and you should, uh, <laughs> we want you to apply, go to apiarymagazine.com slash submit. You can also find us on Facebook, Apiary Magazine on Facebook, Apiary Mag on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, there's a full Facebook call uh, for the submissions as well. You can read about it there. You can read about it on our site. We're taking submissions via Submittable. Please come to us. We want your work. <laughs> Amanda, Alexa, thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you thank so you. much. And thank you everyone for listening out there. Uh, we'll catch you next time on TGMR.